Hi and welcome to the podcast. This is the McGill International Review and I'm Joey. Today's episode is about climate bonds. I interview Carolyn Shellhorn, an assistant professor at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. Much of the focus with combating climate change has to do with environmental regulation, divestment from fossil fuels, and creating more sustainable industries. What often gets left out is how the fight against climate change can be financed. Since 2007, a little over a trillion dollars have been issued in climate bonds. But what exactly are they? I asked some of my friends and peers to see what they knew about climate bonds. What would you say? I don't know what that is. That's okay. I think I think most people don't know what it is. Climate change happening like really fast, and then like something happening all of a sudden, like a big event. So like I don't know, like the ice caps melting or something all at once. Yeah. Uh, do you know what a bond is? Like a investment bond. A bond. I had bond, Joey. Oh <laughs> no. No. Well, that's something to do with financial stuff that, that would have repercussions on the environment. If I asked you what a climate bond is? The bond is like to, you pay the money to then like, that goes into like solar panels or like wind farms or something like that. And then, then like when that becomes like really profitable. Most of the people I polled seem to be right. able to deduce that climate bonds had to do with finance and climate change. A bond is a type of fixed income loan, which can be issued by companies, governments, and municipalities. A climate bond works in pretty much the same way, but a climate bond must be given a rating by a third party that certifies it as a sustainable investment. Let's continue our discussion with climate bonds with Carolyn Shellhorn, an assistant professor in the Department of Finance at St. Joseph's University. Dr. Shellhorn has done extensive research on the intersections of finance and sustainability. The green bond market is interesting because um, it allows investors to identify bonds that have um, an environmental objective, right? The the bonds raise funds for proceeds that are used for environmental purposes. Now, the green bond market itself is um, a mixed bag. Um, Some are bonds that are just labeled green by the issuer, right? Right. The issuer is the borrower, and the borrower says, okay, here are bonds, and we're going to use these proceeds for green or environmental purposes. Now, that's very general, and the problem with that is that investors may not believe it, right? Right. Because if you say that yourself... Um, how does the investor know that you're going to really do this? And that's the problem that people call greenwashing, right? They're worried about greenwashing. Um, investors in general in, in the bond and stock markets are worried um, that when people say they do sustainable things, it's not true, right? So um, here, the climate bond initiatives provides a solution because they offer a certification specifically for climate related purposes and um, there is also a, a separate initiative the green bond principles that are um, were put together over the years and updated over the years by um, the 
the inter- there's an, oh, I forget the name of it. It's an international. If you look up Green Bond Principles on the web, yeah, um, it says who the sponsor is. It's an international association of an capital market investors or a cap- something of capital market and international. It's an industry association, and they've drafted the Green Bond Principles, and that's sort of a very basic standard or requirement that issuers have to meet. They have to say what the proceeds are going to be used for, how they evaluate projects, um, you know, how they manage the proceeds, and then they have to give regular reports on um, the financial and the environmental impact. But by itself, the Green Bond Principles don't certify any anybody. But the Climate Bond Initiative does do that. They first require the issuer to get a third party to look at this, and this could be a company like Sustainalytics or uh, Moody's. Moody's does that too, I think. Right, I saw that. Uh, yeah, they have a they have their financial credit ratings, and then they also have these environmental or the green bond ratings, and they're separate. Right, one is for financials, and one is for environmental impact and and the green bond initiative requires that issuers get one of those certifiers and then their board provides certification when they've seen it and i think they also have to then bring in a third party again after the bond has been issued so some of this certification occurs before and some after so there's some follow-up and clearly when you're an investor and you buy one of these certified bonds you have greater certainty that your money really is invested the way you intend it to be invested. And unfortunately, that's not necessarily always the case with these other kinds of bonds, the green bonds that are just labeled green because the bar says so. Yeah, that's one of the... Sorry to to interrupt, but um, that is something that I've come across in my in the research that I've done is there's these two conflicting, um, two conflicting issues. One is what you talked about, the greenwashing where firms raise money in bond markets and make potentially misleading claims about their green credentials and what the money is being used for. But then on the, on the flip side of that, um, I've read, uh, that there's an increased transaction cost to all of this, like the climate bond initiative and getting third parties and mm-hmm, looking mm-hmm. at exactly where the funds are going. So, right, yeah. So you mean the the the, the costs of certification and, and reporting and all that, right? Yes. That's, is that what you're? Yeah, exactly. So that um, has I've also seen debate about that, and um, you know the question then is. Are investors basically willing to pay for that, or are they going to pay a premium for these kinds of bonds? Is it worth it to them so that they pay extra and so that the issuer uh, has a lower cost of financing or a lower interest rate um, because the investors basically, you know, pays for it? I have not seen really conclusive evidence one way or the other that. Um, it's a net cost to the borrower or a net benefit. I think that's a really interesting research question yeah. that, that hasn't been completely resolved. There's sort of 
you know, and of course, the, the, this bond market also consists of different categories of issuers. You have the governments, the sovereign governments in there. You have municipalities, you have corporations, and um, the investors in these different market segments are also different. So I think, you know, it's, the research has started to look into this, but um, it's, it, it, it's not been conclusive as far as I can tell. Yeah. You know, the results have not been um, that clear. But you're right, it is an issue. You know, these things are, and I think they're trying to reduce, of course, that these parties have an interest in the bond market growing and the bond market, ha the green bond market has grown. And I think they're trying to, um, you know, reduce the costs of, of getting certification and all this. And, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it is, it is, of course, also a profit opportunity for companies like, like Moody's or Sustainalytics and, and so forth. So um, it is part of the market infrastructure that's being developed. And um, I think, you know, the, the, the costs may go down as more competition for certification, uh, as the competition for these kinds of things heat up. But um, yeah, no, I don't have any uh, real results here to share with you on that issue, but it is an issue. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting area that I think needs to be explored more. Uh, do you think you could explain a bit more um, what that premium is that could yeah. sort of... okay. Yeah, exactly. The premium, you know, the, some people call it greenium. Yeah, I saw that in your... Uh... Yeah, um, that's what some researchers call it. And, um, you know, the question is uh, whether it's there or whether it's not there. And it might, people think it might be there because investors, you know, in finance and economics, we the, the theoretical models always assume that investors are homogeneous, that we're all rational people and we're basically identical. And of course, that's not true. Um, investors have very different motivations, they have different values, um, and that's true among individual investors and also institutional investors. You know, some right. um, have moved very early into the sustainability space or, you know, they have addressed climate risk very early on. Others say, oh, no, you know, we're, for us, uh, financial profits and returns are much more important and we won't do this unless this becomes profitable. And the same issues uh, are present in the, in the green bond market. Same idea. Um, some institutional investors and individual investors will uh, buy these bonds regardless of, you know, what, what, what the actual yields are or the returns compared to similar conventional bonds. And other investors will say no only if we can expect returns that are above average or, you know, that are uh, better or at least comparable to conventional bonds will we even consider these kinds of bonds. And so the question is, how many of these various kinds of investors are in the market for a particular bond? There's also been apparently a difference between the primary market and the secondary market. It's in the primary market where the borrowers actually get the funds, and it's in the secondary market where investors trade amongst each other. So it's in the primary market where the borrower really 
feels the the cost, right? That's where right. the yield gets determined that the borrower actually pays. And um, it, it, again, you know, there, there are some research results one way or the other that it's that there's a difference or that there's no difference. Um, so again, we don't have to necessarily comment on that, but um, the um, I think my results were for the primary market, and um, okay, now I got distracted from what I originally. What was your original question, Joseph? I'm trying to remember what I'm. Um, to yeah, I know it's uh, there. There's so many different areas to go yeah. with this. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, we were. What you were originally asking me because I'm I'm still trying to answer your question. <laughs> I was. Oh no, like this was fascinating to hear, but I was. Uh, I guess I was originally asking about the um, what exactly the pre- how the premiums or the greeniums <laughs> can uh, change okay, the equation. Yeah, thank you. Okay, let back to the greenium. So, if there are enough investors who really care about the environment or climate, right, then you would expect there to be a greenium. Yeah. But if if there if there is a greenium, and then the people who care about the financial returns come into the market, they would probably um, arbitrage that away, right? They, they would um, sell these bonds at a premium and then buy them by the other bonds that are cheaper. And you would expect the greenium then to, to be arbitraged away. And so again, the results have been ambiguous. Some people find greeniums in, during certain time periods and in certain sub-segments of the market and other people don't. And that's plausible. I mean, that makes sense because the market is full of different investors. Sometimes during some time periods, yes, there is a greenium because there are a lot of people who really care about these bonds and they pay extra. And then other times, these people are swamped by all the people who care about financial returns, and those people come in and buy the relatively cheaper conventional bonds and sell the relatively more expensive green bonds, and the greenium goes away. So, yeah, chances are you you find both. Sometimes you find it, and sometimes you don't, depending on who happens to be in the market at the time. Okay. And also, depending, of course, on the supply, right? On the supply side, the interesting thing is some companies and some municipalities and some governments are aware of this, and they have constituents who are aware of this and who want them, who want their representatives to address it. And of course, in municipalities where we live, you know, some some constituents who want who want this addressed want infrastructure to protect them from climate change. And so they issue these kinds of bonds. And the more they do that, the more these kinds of bonds are out there. So on the demand side, you have the investors with their different values and different motivations. And on the supply side, you have the issuers with their different levels of awareness and motivations and politics, right? Right. And um, so the supply and demand interact, obviously, and determine the price. And so sometimes you have a greenium and sometimes when there's little supply and a lot of demand, and other times you don't have the greenium um, when there's more supply and relatively less demand. And that can change with politics and with time and with, um, you know, with, 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 the, with the way people experience climate or environmental problems and so forth. 
there's, there is this interesting survey by Yale. They always ask, they put out these surveys and they ask the public to what extent the public is aware or worried and wants their politicians to address it. And yeah, they find, you know, it changes a little bit throughout time. Yeah, that actually leads me perfectly into this other question that I have. In in uh, some of the things I've seen you written, you make note that yeah. the the bond market for the climate bond market is like it's like it's pennies like it's not is very small compared to the overall bond market i think you say it's about right. 120 billion right. i've seen some that say it's 250 billion cumulative it's it, about it a trillion grows, yeah. but yeah, that's it grows every year but it's still small in comparison yeah and so what exactly would it take to accelerate this market forward, whether it be government intervention, societal pressure on investment firms to meet a certain climate responsible threshold? Um, right. I think, all, see, this, this is the thing with climate is like it takes just about everything. It takes, um, you know, government intervention. It takes individual consumer action, individual investor action. It takes corporate action. Um, it also takes the central banks. Fortunately, finally, the Fed has just joined, has formally joined this um, network for greening the financial system, NGFS, which is a network of central banks around the world that are interested in addressing climate change. And the, the Fed has long been a, a, a laggard, has not joined it, even though the, a lot of other uh, central banks had. And uh, finally, I, I think they did. And that's a good thing because obviously, you know, the central banks could buy bonds like that. Currently, the Fed is buying mortgage-backed securities and treasury securities. They used to only buy treasury securities, but since the financial crisis, they also bought mortgage-backed securities. And they could um, expand, you know, uh, their purchases. And, of course, they also have a um, supervisory authority. They supervise the bank holding companies, and they could require um, these financial institutions to disclose climate risks and in the process of course um they these institutions would have an incentive to buy climate bonds to show that they are um you know hedging uh loans uh, or portfolios that may still be invested in fossil fuels right um, there's also now you know the climate bond initiative i recently saw this it's also really interesting they're developing a way to help um, fossil fuel companies or, or companies in, in industries that are related to fossil fuels uh, issue um, transition bonds. In, these companies do not qualify for green bond issuance or climate bond issuance, but they can. The Climate Bond Initiative is helping them now raise funds for transitioning. That's very interesting. Carbon. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's that because a lot of companies were not able to participate as issuers in the green bond market or the climate bond market, climate um, certified bond market, but they could under these new, they, that also 
requires certain standards, right? They have to be aligned with, I think, a two degree or a 1.5 degree global temperature increase um, uh, requirement. And they have to somehow show that they're abiding by or that they're using science to come up with their um, strategy. And um, they have to show that they're taking action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, I think half them by 2030 and then be net zero by 2050. So these transition bonds would not be a long-term bond solution, but it would be, as the name implies, a transition to net zero. That's And then, yeah, and then they would be able to issue climate bonds or green bonds or whatever. That's a particularly interesting for um, Canada because uh, in Montreal, there's or at McGill uh, University, there's a lot of discussion around divestment from uh, unsustainable practices. Sort of looking at different universities' portfolios, and right. um, mm-hmm. one of the one of the counter arguments I've uh, seen is if you just divest from fossil fuel companies, then the production goes elsewhere to places where they may not care about, or they may not right. care or they may not right. consider climate to be one of their main um, exactly. goals. Yeah. So the right. transition bond is, is a, it, it's definitely an interesting idea that I need to look more into. Yeah, you're right. I think it really does. It would help these companies because the thing is also, you know, if we just totally divest from them, um, what are they going to do with all their assets or their, you know, they, we have the stranded asset problem and um, all these things, you know, need to be planned, you know, and, and a transition bond encourages them to plan this. How are they winding down their fossil fuel operations, um, it doesn't have to happen from one day to the next, but they have to have a plan. They have to have a strategy. Right. And um, that is, you know, what these transition bonds encourage. And so hopefully you have fewer stranded assets as a result. And um, also, you know, the other thing is, of course, we do need enough energy in the years ahead. And so the transition bonds also help plan the production and, and, and the investments and, and all that by, for these companies. So I also, I agree these transition bonds are a really good idea. And it's also administered by the climate bonds initiative with the same kind of, um, you know, with the, with the same idea where there's a third party that um, makes sure that this is really happening. And, and investors then know that there is some certificate yeah, that there's certification that they, yeah. they can rely on this actually happening because, you know, that's why we have Moody's and Standard and Pure's credit ratings so that there's some um, analysis, you know, that, that is done aside from what the investors do themselves. And, and that's what we need for environmental impact also. We want to make sure there really is this kind of effect on the climate or the, or the environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so transitioning to um, a different question, uh, obviously, like, it can't be ignored. Uh, COVID-19 has obviously changed the uh, economy and the way 
or I at least I hope has changed the way investors are thinking about the future. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. how would you say COVID nineteen has changed, if at all, changed the equation for uh, uh, investments into climate bonds and other sustainable practices? Um, yeah. The, uh, that's that's a really good question. There are also um, bonds that have a social label or sustainability label, and the Climate Bonds Initiative. I don't know if they also certify these. I know they track them. They I think they report how many they are, there are, and there are not as many as green bonds. I think green bonds were the first bonds that were brought to market with with this kind of non-finance label or with the you know that were different from the conventional bonds um but there are also now social bonds that finance things like affordable housing or thing or something like that or health right like es i think they're called esgs or environment well yeah yeah, they fall in the category of esg but they actually have they're called social bonds in the case of bonds, there, you, I think you also have ESG bonds. That's that's also possible. But they, there are those that have actually a social label. They're called social bonds, and then sustainable sustainable bonds or sustainability bonds. And there may also be ESG bonds. But I think if we look it up on the Climate Bonds Initiative, they categorize them as social bonds, and then some as specifically sustainability bonds that are supposed to finance the seventeen SDGs. Now, what I read not that long ago was that the these social bonds and the sustainability bonds are a little bit more vulnerable. There's been a lot of interest since COVID in in those a little bit, you know, there, there, there was a little bit more perhaps than in the green bonds. But the sense was, or what I read seemed to indicate that there was a little bit less confidence that these would deliver what they promised. So there you don't have the word, you know, you can't say they greenwash because they're not green bonds. But the, there was some question about whether there was enough oversight to make sure that they that they did what they promised yeah. in these categories of social and sustainability bonds. And I think those would be more directly um, addressing COVID-related issues. But, of course, you know, the climate and the COVID issues are similar in the sense that um, they impact primarily, again, lower-income groups and, you know, in some cases, minorities or people that are disadvantaged to begin with because they live, um, you know, in the case of climate, they live in the more vulnerable areas. Yeah. Because, you know, they live in more low value real estate where that gets easily flooded or they don't have insurance health or property insurance and um so they're more vulnerable to climate problems and they're also more vulnerable to covid because they um have to go to work they usually can't sit at home and and work behind a computer right so yeah so these these issues are related and um so yeah, I think they're still both relevant. But you're right. I think the COVID problems have um, maybe taken away focus from the green or climate bonds and shifted the focus a little bit to these social and sustainability bonds. Um, I should look up whether 
don't think they call them ESG bonds, even though they are in the ESG category, obviously. But I think they have actual labels um, of social bonds, and there are also social bond principles and sustainability bond principles. Yeah, I haven't looked into it a lot, but I'm sure there's a lot of intersections between uh, post-COVID investments and um, climate investments. Um, And you brought up the, the point about how um, oh, climate change and COVID both will both have and will be affecting particularly minority groups and um, yeah, those exactly. who aren't like financially ready to handle the um, to bear the cost right. of of all these changes. Uh, I saw I read that in the uh, Seychelles uh, they were yeah. issuing climate bonds to support sustainable marine and fishery projects and i see yeah right right well you know here's also the link right there because um covid i guess we don't know exactly where it originated but pandemics in general often come from wildlife or you know uh illnesses uh in animals that are that become sick usually from our activities you know when we damage ecosystems or when we damage the climate and the climate damages ecosystems and and makes these animals sick and we develop uh wild areas we build houses in areas where where animals used to live or we ship animals around the world um you know all these activities that we in our economic activities expose us to these pandemics and um, to the extent that the wildlife gets sick, um, either from us directly or or from extreme climate, right? I mean, if, right. if areas get hotter or colder, or you have, imagine, you know, the, the, these these uh, huge areas where wildfires rage. A lot of these, I forget how, what number it was in Australia. Billions of animals died. I'm sure the same thing happened in California, obviously. All these animals die, but not all of them die. The rest of them get sick, right? And then yeah. the ecosystems are destroyed. And then we interact with all this, and who knows what comes out of that. Um, and then, of course, we can't trace it because we travel all over the world, and and uh, that's another problem. But anyway, the climate and the COVID or pandemics in general are related. Right, that yeah. there's this whole area of uh, biodiversity loss that we are experiencing at the same time as, exp- as we're experiencing all these other things. And um, I guess the companies or, or governments that want to address that would could issue a sustainability bond, for example, um, or a green bond. I mean, what you just mentioned, these marine habitats or... Um, what was it that you just said? You, marine and ocean? Yeah, in the Seychelles, they issued uh, climate yeah. bonds to support the marine life and the fisheries. Uh, exactly. Oh, by the way, there's also now, there are blue bonds for this purpose also. Blue bonds. Oh, like, like specifically bonds. targeted at the ocean and yeah, fisheries? Yeah. Uh-huh. I forget where I read that, but I have a, a paper on that somewhere. Um now that we mentioned that, I, I kind of lost track of that. But it was a serious 
uh, paper or a report of some sort or an, an organization that had developed those. So yes, you have the green bonds, you have the blue bonds, you have the social bonds, the sustainability bonds, and now you have transition bonds. Yeah, so, I could definitely uh, yeah. see how this is for, because I mean, before I did my research into this, uh, like green bonds, blue bonds, climate bonds, like there's a lot of, it seems there's a lot of um, underreporting about yes. finance yes. and like everyone knows about, um, you know, sustainable practices they can do as individuals, but it's, it can right. be kind of intimidating to look at uh, the, the finance aspect of this, particularly because there's a lot of barriers and I mean, right. most individuals exactly. cannot buy bonds to, uh, like for the climate or exactly no you're yeah. right i mean that's a good point because these bonds come in bigger chunks right i mean with stocks you can buy a hundred shares for two dollars a piece or something with these bonds the they're much bigger minimum amounts that you'd have to buy so um i for example don't own these kinds of bonds you know i yeah. invest in mutual funds so yeah no um these are institutional investor issues usually and, um, I mean, what you could do as an individual investor is seek out asset managers that do that, right? And you could invest in a mutual fund that does that or something like that. Um, but, you know, regardless, I think it is important to be aware of these uh, things because as a voter, you have some power, right, to push yeah. politicians to issue, for example, here, the U.S. Treasury could issue bonds like that, right, to finance. Um, other governments have done it. Sovereign governments have already done it. The Climate Bond Initiative um, has reported it, it, there, it, it's a significant chunk. Uh, I think overall, the more bonds are issued by corporations, both financial and non-financial, but um, there are some governments that have already issued these kinds of bonds, and the U.S. Treasury could. And then the central banks can buy them, right? Yeah. The governments can issue them and borrow the money and invest it, and the central banks can support these efforts by buying them. Um, but, I mean, the certification is key for all of them because you want to make sure that whoever issues these bonds and gets money from investors really manages these proceeds responsibly and in a way that's consistent with what they've promised to do. Absolutely. And yeah, so that's the key. And that's, I think, why the Climate Bonds Initiative is important. That's what they're trying to do. Um, you know, that they, they have, that's sort of the main um, thing that they add to the process. Yeah, I've, I've also seen that... Um, slightly slightly off topic but um like the certification process is important because even if say like this is just the example that i saw but say a company a hypothetical company makes a fuel efficient car that runs primarily on electricity i mean yeah. doesn't that also increase the demand if people are like oh this car is fuel efficient and the demand for that car increases, and then more people are using it. Like, yeah. can these have? Can some of these investments have unintended unintended consequences? Oh yeah, exactly. 
definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you you mean um, somebody who makes this fuel efficient car initially doesn't think about the environmental consequences? Yeah, like I know some yeah. some places where a lot of people bought um, electric cars, like Teslas and whatnot. Um, it was in areas of the United States that still use coal to power electricity. So, like, yeah, so it's not even helping, right? Like, yeah. if you drive a Tesla and it's fueled by coal, you've <laughs> done nothing to help the environment. You're right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so that, that's exactly right. So, that's also why some people say, you know, all these things have to occur simultaneously while you install charging stations and you build these electric vehicles and you find batteries that are not environmentally damaging you also have to make sure that you actually you know you you produce uh renewable you produce energy with renewables you put renewables renewable energy in the grid because otherwise this whole electrification of of cars and buildings is not going to help right there definitely appears that there's a need for coordination between like all these different sectors yeah. interacting. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of need for coordination, and also internationally, of course. Like you said, you know, if, if one country does all this and the companies don't like it, they go elsewhere where there are not right restrictions and there's no need to plan or certify or do anything. So yeah, that's of course that was the intent of the United Nations with the Paris Agreement with the SDGs. But, of course, you know, it has to trickle down. We, the, these global bodies can only do so much. And then um, the, the, we have to pick that up domestically. That concludes my conversation with Dr. Shellhorn. This was a McGill International Review podcast. Thanks for listening.